Welcome to your happy place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. So grateful that you're making us a part of your day once again, wherever you are in the world, wherever you may be listening from. We're glad to have you. We're also glad to have our partners, as always, Live Happy Magazine. The uh, new issue is available on newsstands now. You can also get it at the Google Play and Apple Store. And, of course, all the content supplemented there on livehappy.com. Glad to be a part of this fantastic movement. Also, very glad to have a partner in Life Reimagined. Their website is lifereimagined.org slash happy, and they've got all kinds of resources for you, processes to try out right there on the website, because as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Well, find out at lifereimagined.org slash happy. Well, in this episode, Gretchen Rubin is our guest. She's the author of several books, including the New York Times bestsellers Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. And on her popular weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And in this episode, Live Happy's own Deborah Heiss talked about the power of habits in creating a happier and more successful life. Gretchen, thanks for coming on the Live Happy Now podcast today. We really appreciate it. I'm very happy to be talking to you. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Gretchen is a regular columnist for Live Happy, and we've really enjoyed having her columns in uh, the magazine. So for those of you who haven't checked those out, go online. A lot of them are online on the livehappy.com website, or start subscribing to the magazine. We'd love to have you reading the wonderful words of wisdom that Gretchen typically brings. But that's not why we're here today. Today we want to talk about her book, which just came out in paperback. Now, this this was your, your third book, is that correct? Oh, no, I think it's like my seventh or eighth book, actually. Oh, wow. Is it just, yeah. the, is it just the third one on happiness? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. um, you and I talked when the book first came out, and uh, there was a lot of new information in it, really about different types of people, which I found fascinating. And, and you really call them tendencies, you know, basically personality tendencies. Could you explain to the people who haven't read the book a little bit about this? Absolutely. Um, So this has to do with how you respond to an expectation. There are two kinds of expectations that we all experience. One is outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a spouse. Um, And then there are inner expectations. So that's your own New Year's resolution, your own desire to get back into doing yoga. So there's four kinds of people, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. So they meet a work deadline, they keep a New Year's resolution without too much fuss. They want to know what's expected of them, but they also really want to meet their expectations for themselves. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they're convinced it makes sense. So they're first, they want to know, they hate anything inefficient or arbitrary. Um, they always want to know, why should I be doing this? And they won't do it unless they're convinced. Then there are obligers. And obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got insight into this when a friend of mine said to me, you know, I want to exercise and I never can do it. And it's weird because when I was in high school, I was on the track team. And I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And what I realized is because when she had a team and a coach, She had no trouble showing up, but it was just her own inner expectation. She struggled. And that's the biggest tendency, by the way. That's the category that most, the biggest number of people belong to. 
And then the smallest category, the one that the fewest people belong to, is the rebel tendency. <laughs> Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, in their own way. If you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. <laughs> and um, most people can, can figure out what they are just from a pretty quick, quick overview. But there is a quiz on my site. Uh, if you go to happiercast.com slash quiz, there's a quiz that will kind of give you an answer about what your tendency is. You and I had a great conversation about this yeah. uh, when we met earlier this year, and I, I fall into that rebel category. So Yes, you do. <laughs> the, the rare, the few, the proud. Yes. The rebellious. One of the things, you know, this is a new year time for a lot of people. So you, you mentioned resolutions, and really this is about, you know, why we do things or, or don't do things. How do you recommend people go about building habits based on their personality? Why, why do habits matter anyway? And I'm tying this to New Year's resolutions because we just had a great podcast with Tal Ben-Shahar, where he basically said, we have no willpower, um, mm -hmm. that we have to create habits to create change. And you've done right. a lot of great research and content on this. What can you tell people who are trying to build habits? Why should they, right. and how do they go about this? Right. Um, absolutely. So habits, research shows that habits shape about 40% of our everyday lives. So if we have habits that work for us, we're just a lot more likely to be happier, healthier, and more productive. And absolutely, the reasons that habits can help us is that they, they can be freeing and energizing because they get us out of the difficult, draining business of using our self-control and making decisions. So I go through my day. I don't have to decide to get up at 6 a.m. I don't have to use my willpower not to eat dessert. I don't have to, you know, choose and use my self-control to get myself to go to my 10 a.m. Friday weight training session because I made those choices long ago. I just, they're habits. I don't have to think about them. I don't have to use my willpower. I don't have to make decisions. I, it's, it's on automatic pilot, you know? Um, and that's why habits can be so freeing because they get us out of that. Now, the thing about the four tendencies is the four tendencies will tell you, um, give you a lot of insight. If you are trying to use that habit, how would you set it up in a way that's going to make you succeed? Because the fact is, there is no magic one-size-fits-all solution. You know, people will say things like, do it first thing in the morning or do it for 30 days, start small, give yourself a cheat day. That's the way to succeed. But the fact is none of those work for everybody. They work for some people sometimes. They don't work for everybody all the time. So we really have to think about what's true for us. So say you're an obliger. If you're an obliger and you're trying to get yourself to keep a New Year's resolution, the key thing, the absolutely essential element that you must make sure is there is accountability. External accountability is crucial for obligers. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go to the gym, you need to go with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up, or you need to pay for a class if that's going to make you feel bad if you don't go, or you need to work out with a trainer, or you need to figure out a way that's going to give you that sense of accountability. Now, but so, Deb, for you as a rebel, <laughs> that wouldn't work, right? Because you're like, I don't want to show up just because some teacher's telling me I have to go. Like, who knows what I'm going to feel like doing at 10 o'clock on Friday morning. Rebels always want to act from choice and freedom. So they need to say to themselves, you know what, I just, I love feeling youthful and energetic. And, you know, I haven't been feeling quite myself lately. I've been feeling kind of weighed down. I think it would feel great to go back to the gym. I'm going to go to this gym where there's tons of choices. I'm going to do anything I feel like. I'm going to do some crazy new kind of yoga that nobody's ever heard of before. <laughs> That's what I feel like doing. Right now, I feel like going. That works for a rebel. For an upholder like me, that would drive me crazy. I like to have a schedule. I like to know what I'm doing. I like to do the same thing over and over. 
So it's not that we can't all exercise regularly and be happy and healthy and productive. It's just that we might need to set things up differently depending on the kind of environment that allows us to succeed. I I always find this fascinating because when you talk about a rebel, it does hit me dead on. I wouldn't make the appointment to go work out, much less like I have to go. Um, Right. But I've, I've had some real success as a rebel, just by planning things in the future that require preparation. Uh, For example, Mm -hmm. I'm running my first half marathon, which for me was motivation enough, but I refused to train with anybody. People would go, I'll Uh run with you. I'm like, no. (laughs) See, but that's interesting because for an obliger, they might, somebody could tell you, feeling it's absolutely, you have to train with somebody else. Like, you're not going to succeed on your own. They might feel that's absolutely true because that's their experience. And and, And you're just like, man, that's not going to work for me. It's good that you know that about yourself. See, because I think sometimes we haven't quite figured out these things about ourselves. And so that when people tell us we should be able to do it a certain way, we feel like, well, then when we fail, we're like, well, it's because there's something wrong with me. I'm lazy. I have no self-control. Instead of being like, well, okay, maybe my sister does much better when she trains with other people, but that doesn't work for me. I'm going to do a much better job if I just do it on my own. And and no one's right, no one's wrong. There's no right way or wrong way. It's just whatever works for you. But sometimes I think we feel like we should be able to. I should be able to get up early and exercise before work, right? Doesn't that make so much sense? Not if you're a night person. Or, oh, I should be able to have a half a cup of ice cream every night. Not if you're an abstainer. An abstainer like me, better off having none. Way easier to have none than to have a little bit. Can't have a little bit. Have to have the whole thing. But I can have none. None is easier for me, but that doesn't mean it's easier for you. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. And what's, that's what I really try to do in Better Than Before is show you all these ways that you might be like other people. You might be different from other people. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. And if you're a rebel. I'm an upholder. Like, we couldn't be more different. Now, we could end up doing the same thing. But we'd come at it very differently because we just have different values and we like to work in different ways. It's not that you're right and I'm wrong or vice versa. It's just that we both, we just need to set ourselves up for success. That's what I love about a lot of the information in in Better Than Before because it really is geared towards your personality, who you are and what will motivate you to do things or or not to do things. And so for those of you, I'm just going to mention it again. Go online to happiercast.com. Take the quiz. Find out who you are. Get a copy of the book. Read it. It's really interesting. Um, one of the things I think a lot of us struggle with is not, you know, we have significant other people in our lives who also have habits that we, uh-huh. yeah. we would like to change, <laughs> not yeah. necessarily that they would like to change. Um, yeah. There's a little bit of insight. Uh, what can you tell us about trying to change other people's habits? Well, you're absolutely right that we have enormous influence on other people and they have enormous influence on on us. And certainly with like our significant partners, um, there's something called health concordance, which is that you definitely come, begin to reflect the habits of the people around you. So if one person quits drinking, the other person's much much more likely to quit drinking. If one person gets diabetes, the other person's much more likely to get diabetes. Whether one person goes to the doctor regularly is going to have a big influence on the, whether the other person goes to the doctor regularly. And, and, and just in any circumstances, we're constantly passing habits back and forth. Um, so one thing is um, if there's some habit that you want someone else to have, you should model it yourself because you're doing it is going to have a big influence on them. So if you want your kids to eat breakfast, but you run out of the house every day without, you know, like eating an energy bar in the car, you are not modeling good behavior for them. Like you want to 
exhibit the habits that you want other people to have, which often people don't really want to bother to do. Another thing that we can do is um, the strategy of convenience is the very obvious fact, but it's very powerful. We're just much more likely to do things when they're very easy and convenient to do, and we're much less likely to do things when they're very inconvenient. So you can help someone by shaping the environment to make good habits convenient and bad habits inconvenient. So, for instance, if you're dealing with a spouse who never takes medication regularly, never does their physical therapy regimen, and eats ice cream out of the freezer every night, um, what you might do is say, okay, well, I'm going to – I'm going to get you one of those pill boxes, and every week I'm going to put the pills in the right date. And every morning when you sit down for your first cup of coffee, I'm going to say you can't have your coffee until you take your pill. I'm going to just put it right there in your hand, and it's just all you have to do is take it because I'm going to make it so convenient for you, you don't have to think about it. Um, your physical therapy regimen, a lot of times this is the strategy of clarity. When we don't know quite what we're supposed to do, often we become paralyzed and do nothing. And often when we get medical instructions, it's like it's super, like I didn't really understand that. I don't really know what this means. I, was embar- I didn't want to keep answering questions. I didn't realize at the time I didn't understand. Can you be the person who says, okay, I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to make it perfectly clear, you know? Um, or the, and the ice cream. Yeah, maybe I can eat a little bit of ice cream every night, but you can't, so we're not going to buy ice cream. Or I'm going to put it in a plastic bag and put it in the freezer in the basement so you can't just, like, <laughs> stand there in your stocking feet and eat it out, you know. Um, so because a lot of times I think we think, well, I shouldn't have to change my habits in order for you to change your habits. And that's true, but it's also true that we can choose to do something out of love for someone else even if it's not technically our job. We can choose to take steps with our own habits that will make it easier for them to keep their habits. And I think a lot of times what you have to say is, and then sometimes it's a matter of one person being inconvenienced versus another. Like one person would like to have ice cream in the freezer and can have just a little bit, and the other person can't resist it. Instead of just saying to that person over and over, you need to learn how to manage yourself better, maybe you need to say to yourself, maybe it's not fair that I can't have it my way because it doesn't work for my partner. But out of love and knowing how important it is to this person's health, I will choose to do it their way. We can always choose to do something out of love. I, I can think of a couple instances in my own life where that, was, that, that, that has definitely applied. You know, I, I'm one of those people that can have snack foods in the house and never, ever, ever snack. I, I'm not a snacker, but my spouse can't. Right. So we don't have those kinds right. of foods in the house. It's just not good for us to have them there. Right, right. right. And that sometimes you have to say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it somebody else's way because it's not a problem for me, but it's a problem for that person. So we're going to let that trump. Now, that's a very good example because for the person who it's not, it's not an issue, they're like, well, why is it an issue for you? And it's like, you can't explain to them logically why it shouldn't be an issue for them. If it's an issue for them, it's an issue for them. You know, you're not going to convince somebody, oh, it's not a big deal to have potato chips because if they're like, oh, my gosh, potato chips are my kryptonite, you know, if I have one, I'm going to have the whole bag, and I can't have, you know, if I see the bag, I have to have one. You know, it's like, okay, we're just going to get out of that whole thing. And, yeah, it, we'll- and it doesn't make you better than them that you can resist either, by the way. <laughs> no, well, and this is the thing, though, is that, that, and that comes up all the time with habits, and I think sometimes it's, people feel this way authentically, which is something works for them, so they're like, well, it works for me, therefore it's the right way. You're doing something different, that's the wrong way. And if you're not succeeding, you have to do it my way. Well, sometimes it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong, but just something works for somebody. That means something else might work for somebody else. 
And so, like, I'm a morning person. And for years I would say to people, if something's really important to you, you should get up early and do it first thing in the day. Like, that's what I do, and that works work for me. Okay, well, you know what? Not everybody's a morning person. Night people are, are at their most productive and creative and energetic much later in the day. So that is bad advice for them. Yeah. Just because it works for me doesn't mean it doesn't work for them. And you're right. Just the fact that I get up early, I'm like the early bird catching the worm. This would make me better. Their way is just as good for them. So it's not a question of who's right or who's wrong or who needs to change. It's a question of how do we all get where we need to go? Because if I'm a manager and I have some people who are morning people who can have no trouble being bright and alert at an 8 a.m. staff meeting, but I'm looking around the room and I'm saying I've got a good proportion of people who can barely make it here on time and who are you know, snoozing away the first hour of that conversation, how am I going to work this out? It's not to tell one person, you know, some people are not at their best at that time. Can we pick a day, can we pick a time that's going to work for, better for everyone? Instead of saying, like, well, some people are right and some people are wrong. You know, I could, I could talk to you about this forever because I just find, I find all of this tremendously fascinating. But, you know, oh, we, yeah. we, we have a limited amount of time on the podcast. Now that the book's been out for a while, you've been doing a lot of speaking. You've engaged with a lot of readers. Can you share with me or, or share with our, our listeners what information do you think will make the biggest difference for them that is in the book? What, what, what is, like, if one critical thing that people could take away, what would it be? I, mean, I really think it comes back to this idea, and we've been talking about it the whole time, which is that you just have to think about yourself. And, and this is really important. Like, I've seen this over and over, especially with obligers, that they see, they're like my friend on the track team. They see a pattern. They see that they're able to do some things incredibly conscientiously and other things they don't do at all, but they don't understand the pattern. Once they see the pattern, once they understand that accountability is the crucial element that they need, then it's like their heads explode. Then they're like, now I can do everything that I want to do. Like people will say, oh, well, you know, I, I left my corporate job because I wanted to start my own business, but I, I never, like I was super productive at work, but now that I'm working for myself, I don't get anything done. Okay, that's a problem. That's about <laughs> the habit of consistent work. What you need is accountability. You know, work with a coach, work with an accountability partner, get a client, have somebody depending on you, like whatever it is that you need to give you, that is going to free you. Same thing with rebels. Now, you know, you were a rebel child. I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> I've heard from a lot of people who are like, oh, my gosh, I am the parent of a rebel, and now I understand how to communicate with that rebel without igniting that spirit of resistance. Now I understand how I can help them succeed. But I realized that I was sort of talking to them in the wrong way, or questioners, people saying, oh, I was driven mad by this questioner in my life, but now I realize they're not being uncooperative. They're not being undermining. They're not attacking me or undermining authority. They just want to have their questions answered. Once I understood that, I just was a lot more tolerant. I realized it's not me. They're like this with everyone. There's good parts to it. And questioners themselves understand that this is what they need to succeed. And that helps them change their habits more successfully. So I think it's really that insight into understanding how we're like other people and different from other people um, really helps. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And once again, I want our listeners to check out check out the book Better Than Before. It recently released in paperback in December, so you should be able to find it in all bookstores on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, anywhere you buy books. But check it out. I yeah. think it's really enlightening. And if you're a, if you love podcasts, I have a podcast with my sister called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and we talk about 
good habits and happiness, and it's tons of fun because I'm my sister is hilarious. <laughs> um, so that's a podcast to check out too. Well, thank you, Gretchen. We look forward to your next column in the magazine and talking to you again sometime in the future. Really appreciate it. For free downloads and to take that quiz to find out how you identify with Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, you can visit livehappynow.com. That's it for this episode. We want to uh, thank you for tuning in. We also want to encourage you to reach out. We love hearing from you. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy. You can even find us on Instagram by searching MyLiveHappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For Deborah Heiss and Gretchen Rubin, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long. Thank you, and remember to always live happy.